Good evening and welcome to At Humber. I'm Husna Sarı. Today we look at Humber's commitment to stay green. We will get the details soon. A Humber grass film selected for a showcase on CBC. An Ontario moves to stage three. Rome reopens the public. All that and more coming up on today's show. For the second year in a row, Humber College has released the sustainability report created in moderation alongside the pandemic. Radio Humber, Sabrina Daniel has details on the sustainability report. For the sixth year in a row, Humber College was named one of Canada's greenest employers. This comes as no surprise, with some actions from their annual sustainability report making progress, even during the pandemic. The Office of Sustainability recently published their second annual report, from a five-year plan to achieve sustainability at Humber. From the main report, the 2019-2024 Sustainability Plan was consulted by students, faculty, and staff. In it has more than 150 different action items that the college aims for. Devin Fernandez, the Sustainability Manager at the Office of Sustainability, told Humber Radio about the status of progress from this school year. It has obviously been a challenging couple of years with the pandemic, um, so, we have some flexibility kind of built in to make sure that we are adaptive to external circumstances, um, but at the same time being accountable to here's what we're doing and here's how we can do better going forward. Many actions in the plan advanced progress during the pandemic while others were stalled. There have been some things that have been stalled. For example, one of the things that is a supporting action is a uh, carpool uh, like matching program. And so that's something that we were planning to launch. Um, a lot of great work was done. Uh, a lot of great work was done prior to the pandemic. And we, But then there have been other actions that have been kind of propelled forward. So one of them um, was uh, around a remote working policy and, and exploring that or reducing paper, uh, reducing waste. He says sustainability is about trying to satisfy current needs without compromising the needs of future generations. Fernandez also points out how the college uses sustainability as a guide to create the report. We like to kind of simplify it as if you look at the um, 17 sustainable development goals, sustainability is all of them and the intersection of them. The UN came out with those and they're essentially a, a series of goals that if we want to move forward together as a society, these are the goals that we should aim for. And so um, they're quite cross-cutting. So um, goal number one is no poverty. Um, goal uh, 17 is partnerships. Um, one of, I can't remember which number, one of them is climate action. Uh, there's life on water, life on land. Um, there is uh, uh, reduce inequalities, um, zero hunger. While there have been a number of initiatives that may have been put on hold, the college will continue to outline improvements until sustainability is reached. For 96.9 Radio Humber, I'm Sabrina Danielli. Just four years after graduation, a Humber graduate film has been selected for the eighth annual feature of film showcase. It presents short films from Canadian filmmakers under 40. This year, it's presented by CBC Game and runs from July 90 to 22nd. The short film Flower Boy was directed by Anya Kurkova, at Humber reporter. Christina Gallesi speaks with her about her new film. Congratulations on having your short film featured in the Future Film Showcase. How does it feel to be a part of this? 
Thank you very much. Honestly, I'm very happy because it was the festival that was on my radar for a while because it's a festival that's very integrated into local community. And I heard about it for a number of years and it was almost like one of my smaller goals to get into it because I have been making shorts for uh, past number of years. So it was definitely on my radar. And when I found out that Flower Boy got into it, I was, uh, yeah, I was very, very happy. And I just wasn't sure how exactly they're going to pursue, you know, new times with COVID and how it's going to continue. But when I found out that they paired up with CBC Gems, it was, it was even uh, a better surprise. So <laughs> I'm, I'm extremely happy. So did Flower Boy come about as a film that you knew was going to be submitted as part of the showcase? When I'm writing the movie, I kind of have a goal for it in my head where I want to see it. And it might be unachievable, but at least I kind of know the path that I want to perceive. But when the movie is finished, certain things might change. The timeline might change. So the final goal shapes a little bit differently as uh, the movie progresses, but Future Film Showcase was definitely there in pre-production. So yeah, it was it was on my list of submissions. You are an alumna of Humber. What program were you in and when did you graduate? Yes, I went to uh, Humber Film and Television Production Program, a diploma one, so the three-year one, and I believe it's 2017. And you're also the co-founder of Funny Bone Pictures. When did you decide to start a production company and what led you to do that? Well, the person who I work with in my production company, Mazier Katan, we both went to school to the same program during the same years. So it kind of started in film school, but you know, you make films for fun and it doesn't have any long-term agenda. But after graduation, we realized that, no, that's something that we want to pursue. So it originated in, I guess, first year of uh, film school and it grew out slowly to what it is right now. Can you tell me a bit about the film Flower Boy and what inspired it? I guess to me, because I think everybody has their own opinion of the film. To me, the film is about that one summer and I think everybody has that one summer that they remember that they go back to right in their in their minds to me the movie is about that one summer when um, this person in in our case Nav needs to make a lot of big decisions that uh, potentially will influence his life one way or another so I think the movie is about the time before he makes those big decisions it's about that freeness about that a carefree life that you lead, I guess, when you're young, right? When you don't have particularly any responsibilities per se, right? When um, you don't have to worry about your future. And summer is right before he makes that big decision, whether he goes, whether he stays, whether he moves, uh, who, as dramatic as it sounds, who to love and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that's what Flower Boy is for me. You said that everyone kind of has their own opinion of the film, but was there a specific message that you wanted to convey or was it up to the viewer? I did I don't really have a message per se for this for this film. The only thing I found interesting after 
uh, seeing people's reactions and showing it to a couple of friends, a couple of family. And now it's available um, to watch on CBC Gems. And certain people who I know who haven't seen the film reached out to me and told me what they think about it. I realized that I guess the opinions are different on based who the person is. For example, if the person, I guess, is more... Um, for the lack of a better word, pessimistic outlook on, on life. Mm-hmm. They think that the ending is very almost depressing in a way, right? That what you see, that he's going to be doing this for the rest of his life and there is no way out. But people who are more optimistic and their life approach in general have this hope that, no, he's going to approach, he's going to go after her and he's going to have this, I don't know, life of an artiste. I found it very interesting because I'm a very positive person by nature. So I guess I didn't see the other side of it, right? But now when people are, I guess, letting me know what they think about it, I realized that, no, there is more room for interpretation than I originally intended. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very glad that there is. So. <laughs> that was Anya Cherkova, a Humber graduate and director of the short film Flower Boy. Ontario is moving on stage three. That means tourist attractions like the Rome are now open and ready to welcome guests after eight months. Many have struggled through the pandemic and they are ready to open their doors. Kelly Harper is a visitor experience and marketing specialist at the Rome. At Humber reporter Alia Tingling Distant sits down with the specialist to find out more about how the Rome has adapted to closure and will operate moving forward. What day will the Rome be reopening? So we are very excited to say that we will be opening on the 16th. We're going to open for our members and our patrons on the 16th and then to the general public on July 17th. What safety protocols are set in place and will they be enhanced with reopening? Yeah, so the last three months or so, or the last actually not many number of months, we've been constantly reviewing all our safety protocols. And, you know, because we opened last summer, We also knew what to expect. So we don't feel as stressed out as we did last year. Um, But there's there's a number of really key pieces. One is we're very fortunate that we have a big open space. You know, there's over 30,000 square feet at the ROM um, and over 40 galleries. So that, you know, gives us a lot of space for visitors to spread out. So we've done things like looking at our cleaning protocols and housekeeping um, so that we make sure that at least every hour that, you know, all the very common touchable areas like elevator buttons and railings are all cleaned. Um, We time ticketing is a big component of part of that safety and health regulation is controlling the capacity of the number of people that are in the museum. So you have to purchase a ticket in advance or reserve if you're a member, you're taken in advance. So you did briefly touch on capacity limits. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there a specific number that you guys are aiming for? Yeah. So we we looked at our in-moment capacity as well as what we figure we can um, get through a day in term based on how long we know that people spend in the museum. So our in-moment capacity with um, one of our exhibitions or two of our exhibitions open is about 1,400. And so for a day, we figure we're probably about 3,000 people a day. What are some of your concerns with opening? I think we first and foremost, we want to make sure that, you know, people have been pent up and we've all been sort of spending all this time at home. So we want to make sure 
you know, that it's a gradual phased in approach and that people feel comfortable and people feel safe and secure. And so that was really one of the guiding principles we looked at when we when we put together our reopening plan. Then how do you think the ROM experience will change with the guidelines currently in place? One of the experiences that has changed a little bit is how we've had to modify some of our interactive experiences. So for example, having a touch screen, it's hard for us to clean all the touch screens. So we, right? So we've migrated a lot of that content to digital. So we have a QR code where you can scan it with your phone and we remind people to you know, bring a smart device with them so that you can watch it on, on your own device. There are a couple of areas that we're not able to open just yet. And that's where there are high touchables and high interactive. So again, the ability to send a note to our visitors and a reminder to plan their visit so that they know what to expect is a really important part of that. What new exhibits will you have at the ROM with reopening? We have a fabulous exhibition opening. Um, it was ready in June and we're opening it now free open. It's called Great Whales Up Close and Personal. Um, it's a fantastic exhibition. It features three gigantic, enormous whale skeletons. Um, and it's a sequel to a really popular exhibition that we ran in 2017. Um, and then we have another one that we started actually um, before we closed. We've been able to hold on to it. Um, and it's called Elias Sime Tightrope. And he's a very well-known Ethiopian artist. And he features large-scale works that are made from found materials like electronics. Mm -hmm. um, And it's fabulous. And then we have another exhibition opening in August um, called Breaking the Frame. And it's a new photography exhibition. Will you end up opening sometime in the fall or soon for school field trips? Yeah, so we will we will always follow the guidance of public health and make sure that, again, we can follow all the safety requirements. Right. So once we're able to do that, the challenge right now with with tours is getting people in close close proximity. Right. And so part of part of the challenge now is we need to maintain that physical distancing of two meters. And it makes tours really hard. Right. Yeah. Because not only not only the, the participants, but then whoever's giving the tour really has to project. And what we found is that there's this natural behavior when there's a tour to want to join. It's like you see something happening. It's like, oh, what's happening over there? I want to be part of that. I'm a pretty positive person. And so trying to find the bright spots of COVID and the things that actually helped us learn and helped us push push us in a different direction um, has been really exciting. That was ROM specialist Kelly Harper. Marinland opened its door on the weekend and once again protesters gathered at the entrance. Activists are a familiar sight outside the amusement park after alleged animal abuse. Marinland has faced animal cruelty charges, which were later dropped. Leading the fight against Marinland is Phil Demers, a former animal trainer at the park. Radio Humber's Victoria Mayer speaks with Demers about his ongoing battle. You used to be a trainer at Marineland. What exactly brought you to quit and start your fight against the park? But it took like this catalyst moment. And it was when I just exhausted. I had just become completely, completely, completely exhausted with and frustrated with trying as best I can in-house to address a situation that was, you know, really, really, really compromising the animal's health. And uh, one morning I walked in and, you know, there was a, there was just a pungent smell of chlorine that was really, really bad. And, uh, and, you know, this was always exacerbating the exact situation I was, I was just sort of told you about. And this particular time was like a, a, it was as far as I would call it a real assault on the animals. I know it wouldn't be 
would, that wasn't the intention of what was done, but that's what I would categorize it. So I walked in, there was not, there's no other way to describe what had happened to the animals. <clears throat> so in that moment, I uh, looked over at my supervisor and I said, I'm done. I'm not doing this no more. In that moment, it, it occurred to me, I, I, there was a little more I could do in house. And my, my intention and heart truly was in, in, in trying to work with the animals. That's why I don't judge people who work there. Yes, yes, I give them a bit of a hard time on occasion, but uh, I don't judge them for wanting to work there because they don't understand yet. It takes a really long time to, uh, to break yourself from the familiarity of it, from um, you know, the rewards of working with the animals, all of those things to, to see what you're actually serving as. So let's call it that incident that made me quit. After you and some other former trainers spoke out and Marin Land sued you guys and all those lawsuits have, um, that didn't stop you from fighting. Want to talk about that a little more? No, it inspired me to fight more. In fact, that's just the nature of me, of myself is if you fight, I keep coming back and it's not to my, it's to my detriment. I was always a small child, but if I was on the ground, I'd bite you. If I was, if I was, you know, it just, it doesn't stop because you always still end up beat up in any fight. You still end up beat up. But you know, the question of whether or not you can sleep at night, isn't how, isn't, isn't how the bruises that, that you've suffered. It's how many, you know, you delivered right in receiving. So I just put my head down and just kept going. So they, they would, you know, I'm armed with the truth. There's nothing more energizing. I'm fueled by love. I love those animals. I genuinely did. I left because had I not left when I did, there was a good chance Marina could really change the narrative and, and get rid of me. So protests outside of Marine Land has been happening for years. Some have even protested for decades. Can you tell me what the goal of protesting is and how many people normally show up? Specifically, if you want to talk about the one that just happened on the weekend at their reopening. Marine Land did not announce their opening day this year. They put it on the computer two days before, and it was this big. Opening July 7th, it was this big. They opened on a Wednesday. <laughs> it took to the Monday for them to announce it on Facebook. And then even then, radio ads are this much. Billboards, there's this few. Marineland's not coming out with a bang. Hey, everybody, come on down. Come to Mar no, no. On a minimal budget. And they're just trying to get through this season. And then, you know, I, I would be shocked if they would be open again next season. And now that they're open... They're, they don't really want people there. I know this sounds crazy, but it's not helping them. But what they don't want is to not open. Do you know if they're just, you know, trying to sell them off to other aquariums or are any sanctuaries <laughs> ever going to get any of these animals? So I think the Whale Sanctuary Project is currently negotiating with Marine Land because they made an announcement of uh, a promise of getting six or seven whales. And when you make a bold promise of a sort. Is that official or just an announcement? Well, they announced it, but, uh, you know, I didn't see any import permits. <laughs> and if they're getting it from another country, you know, we passed S203 together. Mm -hmm. What's importing whales from another country? I mean, I get it, but you'll need to have permits. So it's a hell of a, it's a hell of a promise, promise to make without the assurity of signed permits. So I do believe, I think the whale sanctuary will get some whales from Marineland. I believe it in my heart to be, to be something that both benefits Marineland and the whale sanctuary project. That was animal activist Phil Demers. At Humber reached out to Marineland, but they declined to comment. And that is for at Humber. Today's contributors were Sabrina Daniel, Chris Nagale, Alia Tingling Distance, Victoria Meyer. Our technical producer is Noah Sikeng. 
I'm Hüsna Sarı. At Humberis produce it by students in the journalism and radio broadcasting programs on 96.9 Radio Humber.